Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast which asks which movies are well worth watching and remembering for all time. Every episode, we discuss a different piece of film history to decide if it should make its way into our movie vault. Filled with questions, trivia, and crazy challenges, it's the perfect way to deep dive into a myriad of movies. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a glimpse of what to expect in today's episode. A grenade works the same way without a hat, without a head. <laughs> yeah, grenades are often thrown through windows. You don't need to give it a buffer. <laughs> <laughs> Needed padding. I just love that. It's as if like he was like the shock of this alone will make them not run away. <laughs> All right, Mr. Demille, I'm ready for my close-up. Are you not entertained? I am the father. I'll be back. supposed to blow the bloody doors off well good movies hello and welcome to well good movies the podcast that asks which movies are well worth watching and deserve to be remembered for all time i'm your host david osger and i'm joined by my co-host who perhaps out of all of us here has endured the most to get here today and i don't just mean in terms of travel this year he's already had to endure the horrors of seven chris tucker in rush hour Demolition Man going into the movie vault, Running Man not going into the movie vault, and now we are talking about children being killed in a death battle. Craig, are you okay? No, not really. Like <laughs> We talk about this as a general theme, but just like, I need a little bit of optimism in my life. Like, what is going on? I remember this time last year, we, start, we started looking at like a town called Panic, and it was just a, like, you know what? Things aren't just going to be this gloomy crime mood. And this entire year has just been this gloomy death fest. <laughs> That's like, seriously, really what is wrong with all of you? Give us some nicer film choices. If you look at something like Rush Hour, you think, okay, most people probably would have had a general good time, but then that's why I was reminded, oh yeah, Chris Tucker's in that film, so Craig would have had an even worse time because of that. Like, yeah, that's obviously the most fun thing we've looked at so far this year, but it's still riddled with problems. Like, I can't quote half the scenes because they are really, really dodgy these days. True, true. And to be fair, I can't quote today's film either, just because I don't know enough fluent Japanese apologies in advance for the now showing section where i'll have to say people's names i'm just getting that out there now yeah well i was tempted to introduce us as like you know boy one boy two but again i was like i didn't want to bring like any horrific imagery to this to quote a meme that we aren't just boys we're just normal men yeah <laughs> just innocent men we'll go uh what would have been potentially boy three if we had gone down that line to our guest this week it's their first time on the podcast so please welcome film journalist Eamon Jacobs hello hello Hiya, thanks for having me no problem uh so please do tell us uh about yourself what is it you do for work in the film journalism area and uh what are some of your sort of favorite films and stuff like that? What what encapsulates you as a film fan? Yeah, so uh, I'm a I'm an entertainment reporter for Insider, um, and before that, I was a freelancer for places like Looper, Radio Times, Digital Fix, Zavi, and I'm basically just a giant nerd. It's just the the long and short of it. But like, yeah, I'm a big sort of superhero fan. You know, superhero movies in general, 
I grew up with Spider-Man. In recent years, it's more sort of your Logans, your Dark Knights, your Doctor Strange um, that I kind of lean towards. Um, but I'm also a huge Star Wars fan um, and just I'm covered in Star Wars tattoos. <laughs> um, but I'm also a bit of a horror fan as well. Scream and Evil Dead are two, two big ones that I'd sort of say are like the faves. So you've had a good time recently then with the newest release? I certainly have. I saw, uh, like I was lucky enough to go to a, an early screening of Evil Dead Rise. Um, and the same night then went to go see Scream 6. So it was a, a hell of a back-to-back day, that one. <laughs> yeah, it seems people have either gone down that avenue or the kind of Scream marathons or, you know, like the newest one and the last one, Double Bill. Uh, that yeah, that's what I did. I did the Double Bill. Yeah, so I've seen <laughs> seen a lot of that. And and as I said it, I was actually like, oh, so you've had a good time. But then I was like, oh, actually, you might not like the film, but, you know, I, you yeah, go down that, yeah, that route. I, but, um, I was lucky that I liked both films, so it's all good. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. We're, we're good. Because <laughs> I know I was being to a Scream fan who didn't didn't enjoy it. And I was like, oh, mm. and I, it, it, you know, you were talking there about Spider-Man and Star Wars. And I was like, the only thing I can relate this to in my mind is like something like Star Wars or Spider-Man in which they said that they were disappointed they didn't love it. And I was like, that's interesting because, you know, some people can be hard on themselves, I think, when you don't like a sore franchise you don't like. But then, which I can do myself, but then often then, I don't know, I wouldn't say it sort of turns into anger in terms of like anything like social media or Twitter or anything like that. But then sometimes you're more harsh on like the the media itself because you're like this is why it doesn't work for me but you know i think ultimately i tried to be a bit more like okay well this doesn't work for me but a lot of people do love it which is definitely an element of star wars and spider-man etc you 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 are, you are so wrong about yourself david you don't do that you bring up any opportunity you can to talk about how much you didn't you weren't fully invested in no way home oh well yes but again i'm not like uh What's his name? Rian Johnson is the devil kind of person, I hope. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> I know they're like, you know, the extreme Snyder fans, all that kind of mm. stuff. You know, there's uh, the very dark areas of Twitter, etc. So uh, stay away from that. <laughs> yeah, but that's, yeah. Why the, that's why the recent Scream movies worked so well, you know? Toxic yeah. fandom. That's where it's all about. So, Craig, for those who didn't catch our last episode or those who need a reminder, what is it we're discussing and what led us here today? Sorry, did you say last episode? <laughs> I sort of messed up a few words in that, yeah. Good, jo- good, <laughs> last good job. Last episode. So in our last episode, we were discussing Running Man. And in the end, because obviously uh, a very Sylvester, uh, sorry, not Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, dominated film, uh, the entire game was I translated various of his film quotes into various different languages and back into English. And insofar as deciphering what the original quote was and the original film, Johan was our winner. And Johan wanted it to put us through the very peaceful, very tranquil Battle Royale. <laughs> I 
the game and there's also like a fear in his eyes of hearing what last week's or last time's end game was and then thinking with this film being japanese and i'm almost similar being like oh god what are we in for today <laughs> yeah there's yes. a brief flash of panic just yeah. like oh god <laughs> I'm, I'm not such a hack that i would do the same thing twice no but that that's what makes me even more scared <laughs> so yeah Battle Royale is what we will be discussing today, and we'll be asking the usual question of whether it deserves the honour of a place in our movie vault, our vault that encapsulates memorable movies for all time. So for those who don't know, Battle Royale was released in 2000. Again, apologies for any pronunciations here. Directed by Kinji Fukasaka, uh, based on the novel by Kushun Takami, with screenplay by Kenta Fukasaku. Soundtrack by Masamichi Amano, cinematography by Katsumi Yangajing, edited by Hiroi Abe. Stars Tatsuya Fujiwara as Shuya Nanahara. We also have Aki Maida as Noriko Nakagawa. We have Taro Yamamoto as Shogo Kawada, Chiaka Kuriyama as Takako Shigusa, and Takeshi Katano as Katano, and Maznobu Ando as Kazoo Kiriyama. So this film is simply set in the future. The Japanese government captures a class of ninth grade students and forces them to kill each other under the revolutionary Battle Royale act i can relax for the rest of the episode no i'm glad glad that that moment is is done with which i have to say all the japanese names but yet this film has become very famous uh as johan said last time uh part of the reason he brought it up was that it was named as one of quentin tarantino's sort of favorite films from you know the past sort of 20 years and this was really sort of brought to the forefront when the hunger games came out so, Eamon, you saying that you watched it about 2012, 2013 makes sense because that's when The Hunger Games came out. And a lot of people said, hey, you know, this concept has already done, been done before. So the film sort of came to a new light. It has also had a sequel. Obviously, the fact that it's based on a novel as well would have given it a sense of popularity when it originally came out. Uh, and it speaks to a lot of the kind of popularity of Japanese cinema and quite often mentioned as you know a foreign language film that you should check out and one that has appeared and trended on social media on places like Netflix as a film that people around the world can enjoy because it's still encapsulated in so many tropes of of action horror science fiction that people enjoy in other stories so Eamon as we mentioned at the start there you know what what was your initial thoughts when I mentioned this was the film that we would be discussing do you have strong connections to when you originally watched it or strong memories um my first thought was nice <laughs> um I was kind of I was really pleased like it's a it's a great film and like I I watched this about like six months before starting college I think roughly we were given like a list of films to watch before doing film studies and this was on it um and just over the summer was like just dove into a bunch of just random stuff and um <laughs> I had not seen anything like this um and I was just like right okay this is what film can be it doesn't just have to be you know Hollywood blockbusters sort of thing um and it was yeah, it was uh, it was enlightening and like just 
wild to watch for a first time with having no preconceptions as to what it was. Like I, I'd, I'd not really heard of it back then. I didn't really know who was in it. I didn't know what it was about. It was just on the list. And I was like, if anything, I think that made the experience better because I just had no idea where it was going. Um, and yeah, what what a ride, <laughs> to say the least. Have you ever actually seen the sequel? Uh, I have. Again, it was about the same time. I think it was like, a will watch this one and then the sequel in quick succession. Yeah, again, I, we won't go into detail about the sequel, but I'll just get out of the way in terms of the fact that I think it's interesting, obviously, that film is rated so much lower on IMDb's 4.6. I've just seen this two hours and 35 minutes long, which I'm like, okay, I'm already getting some vibes of what what might be going wrong here in terms of mm. uh, why the sequel didn't succeed. But the fact that that also uh, came out when was it? Oh, actually, it's 2003. So I'm surprised at that. It wasn't actually long after the original. Yeah. I wasn't sure if it was a kind of like um, 28 days later sort of thing of like, oh, well, you know, everyone loved this film years ago and it's like, bring yeah, it back. Yeah, some would say there might be reasons for why that film didn't do as well. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think, and it's an interesting one as we've discussed with, you know, recent films and some from like last year as well in terms of what you're saying, Eamon, in terms of like, is it, you know, the type of film that you usually go towards because I think it is definitely a mix of genres and the fact that it is a foreign language film is, you know, from Japan, I think that, that also lends itself to the fact that, you know, French cinema can be a certain thing, Japanese cinema can be a certain thing. Uh, when you look at other films that IMDb is saying is similar, you've got like Train to Busan, uh, The Raid, um, you know, even like, you know, The Ring, which is being brought up as well. So some there more again because of like a language thing, but also some there because of the kind of genre takes that they're sort of doing with some of these like really out there kind of stories but i think it does kind of encapsulate a lot of like japanese kind of sensibilities in the way that it sort of approaches story and this narrative which you see throughout a lot so yeah you know w would you say that there's any like one defining genre with this at all like anyone i think you know the argument can be made it's just a straight thriller um I think there are dashes of there's dashes of horror in there, hundred percent, um, and obviously a, a slight dabble of like science fiction, just with the whole dystopian future and you know sort of fascism undertones and and stuff like that with the the government act and stuff like that. Um, but I think it, it's it's I'd say it's more of a thriller than anything. Um, you know, it's not like they're all running around with laser guns or you know it's not supernatural it's just sort of quite grounded in a sort of wacky sense yeah i would agree with that i think that the reason that i would sort of object to associating science fiction with this is just because the majority of the sort of like the settings the technology they're using are things which i think are so commonplace within like a lot of stories told in like this sort of generation i think the only thing that wouldn't be um is just the collar bombs and even then it's it's literally just a piece of explosive on like metal around someone's neck um and the explosion effect it actually gives isn't that like powerful that it like blows someone's head off it literally just causes them to just bleed out uh so i definitely agree with the take that i think it's just more i think it's more thriller than anything else and just with like most films like i think like the only reason i would also say not really horror is just because i don't know i think that like there are sort of like unexpected sort of like 
jump scares, but that's purely just because of like the action in and of itself. I don't think there's anything particularly framed to be that terrifying. I think it is just deaths that we just don't expect, really. Um, so yeah, I would just purely call this a thriller. But then you know what I'm like with regards to being strict with genres, David. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah, I, I would agree with you guys. I think you know if somebody was to label it as a sci-fi, I think you know that's only on the sub the stance that maybe science fiction would cover anything that just is of like a certain concept or the fact it's dystopian but again it's it's like you guys said you know there's not laser guns or any heavy sci-fi usage and i think that even if you look at you know the film it's being compared to so much hunger games you know it's almost as if if they were kind of you know stealing this idea of a lot of people have said then it was as if they went well let's make this more sci-fi you know we've got a bigger budget and you know let's make it more kind of dystopian and sort of crazy antics going on so that felt feels even that i wouldn't sort of say oh science fiction but that film does seem more science fiction than this film um, but it's also an interesting one in terms of, you know, you mentioned the Eamon uh, having seen it when that conversation was going on and also one that was recommended within sort of film studies because I know for myself um, this was a first time watch because I meant to watch it for years. But again, I think because sometimes you get those conversations of like, oh, well, watch this film, which is like this film, but the original version of that and like this is the better version, etc. sometimes uh gives you the sense of like, oh, well, am I going to be disappointed? Am I going to be comparing it too much to like the, this other sort of franchise, especially one which then has like four films, etc. Um, but I did always kind of get the idea where I w- would enjoy it because I do enjoy a lot of Japanese cinema. Craig, was it the same for you? Because you had also never seen it before? Yeah, I'd also not... I. I'd also not seen it before. I'm actually looking forward to this discussion when we inevitably compare it to Hunger Games because I think that they are similar in the vein of they expect everyone to fight in a game in which only one player comes out on top. And I think that's about where the similarities end. And I think there's actually quite a lot that separates them, which I think is which I think is actually which I think is actually the, the interesting discussion about this film. Um, because I think that the actual core premises are vastly different past that point. And I think anyone who just says, Oh, this is just Japanese Hunger Games is frankly missing the point and uh, frankly should be ashamed of themselves. I guess a lot of people would say that Hunger Games, well, maybe within the sort of more film community, people are like, Hunger Games copied this, or the author of Hunger Games, you know, copied this. This, this is the better original sort of story. Um, and I think, to me, it kind of reminds me of the Lion King uh, controversy with Kimba, is it? Which, again, I think is a Japanese anime so it tends to happen a lot and i think it's a similar situation in which i'm like there are a lot of similarities and there's a lot of stuff which you see like oh yeah you know like i can see how you draw that people who have clearly said like you know they copied it they stole that idea etc which i think at this stage surely any story or anything is copied or taken from something there's you it's very difficult to have an original idea that you know completely original idea these days yeah, but I, I think people are, are I think people are doing that comparison on a very superficial level, right? Cause because like I said, the only similarity for me is just they get a bunch of kids and make them fight in death games. When you actually look at it, first of all, in both in both worlds, why are they doing this? In Hunger Games, it's very much meant to be a symbol of status control of the capital over all of the districts, making them having to sacrifice their children. Uh, as a means of not having them rebel. Whereas in this film, it is literally just these kids are monsters. We need to get rid of them 
in the only ways in which we know how, right? Even to the point that they even make winners of the game go back and fight in more and more of these games. Two, one is televised, the other is not. So it is very much like the ways in which they're meant, they're meant to physically perform. In Hunger Games, is very much meant to be, they're meant to be sort of corporate sponsored. They're meant to be quite popular. They're meant to be sort of these reality stars. In this, it is just all, it is just all business. They have to get each other killed no matter what. You own, the news only finds out about like who wins at the end when like, oh, they just like see who gets drawn out of the games or whatever. None of it is actually shown to anyone. And also the way, and then also like the sort of ways in which people are made to participate um, is also just vast, is also just vastly different. So therefore, because the other, the other thing as well, sorry if I'm going on too long, but I've just had these thoughts in my head for like a week now. In one world, the game is thrust upon them. So they have no idea that they're going to be in this game at all. And it's just a shock to them. And it's seeing how people react with that pressure, seeing how they react in those situations, right? Seeing if people will try and like form partnerships or whether people will just go to killing their classmates. Well, in the other, it's a world in which they're socialized with the pressure of this game, right? You have districts literally training people for the sole purpose of winning the Hunger Games. You have people fearing that they might have to take part in the hunger games at some point so the ways in which the reactions of all those contestants are just vastly different so i i do think that there's a lot about the premises which are just very very different right i think it's i think it's akin to basically saying oh so and so stole the premise of someone else because it's a story about like like kings i don't know i i just think it's a i just think it's a criticism that's fucking lazy yeah, very much people who sort of say about like, oh, well, it's, you know, like man rescues princess or something. Go, oh, it's Star Wars. It's like, well, you know, that's a classic story. Eamon, I don't know what your opinions are on it, but I guess for me as well is the fact that when, again, you look at sort of science fiction or these dystopian films, that that is always an element of stories or quite a common plot point of when you look at things like Mad Max or even The Running Man, which we discussed last time is this idea of like you know a fight to the death or you know you're in an enclosed situation you know it's survival etc yeah i mean it's there's definitely some shared dna obviously there's no no denying that at all but they're both you know as you said craig drastically different in in different ways you know yes there is a political angle to each one the hunger games kind of glorifies a little bit of the of the action and the you know the the even the main characters are sort of you know Jennifer Lawrence is is the hero of the franchise whereas you don't even though there are characters you sort of root for in Battle Royale none of them are really heroic at all in any way shape or form um, even the ones that are like the least bratty are still horrendous human beings <laughs> do you know what I mean. Um, so I, I, yeah, it is a lazy comparison. I think it's just easier to say that they've got shared DNA. Um, but I mean, if you want to look at which one does violence better, I would say that the Battle Royale does it better. If you want to say which one does sort of bombastic scale and huge action set pieces, Hunger Games does it better. So they are kind of different beasts, to be honest. Yeah, and I think it's good when the fact that Battle Royale would have had that bigger audience and that bigger reach because of that comparison. So the fact that a lot of people had never heard about it before, you know, has given that film a lot more credence since Hunger Games come out. 
it should be noted as well, apparently Suzanne Collins, who originally wrote Hunger Games, um, wasn't made aware of the Japanese book until after she had sort of pitched her idea or wrote it, etc. But I think even if there was a, an element of influence, I think it's like you guys said, there's still quite a lot of differences in the way that they take this idea of like, oh, what if a bunch of children are locked up somewhere and they have to kill each other? The fact that Battle Royale goes so much down like the school angle and the kind of like the dynamics of like social circles and like why somebody might want to kill somebody, why somebody would be driven out of panic or out of fear or out of like jealousy um, and how they try and get out to that system. It's a more kind of like grab and throw them in and you know see what happens whereas hunger games again is this kind of like orchestrated thing and it's a part of the history of the world etc in which they've said that we do this every year to sort of remember the rebellion and the fact that it's like accepted by society and is televised as craig was saying and then it's used to make sort of messages about politics and fascism and and all kinds of subjects which again Battle Royale, as we will discuss today, I'm sure, is talking about a lot of different subjects. So I think thematically also, they are very different. Again, if you look at it on surface level, yes, you know, violence, killing. At the beginning, even you are like, oh, wow, okay, there is, you know, like checkbox moments in which they've got the item which will like go off if they, you know, try to get out and all of that kind of stuff. But especially as the films evolve, you know, if you watch the first 10 minutes of each film, then yes, maybe you could easily say that they are very similar. But by the end of each film, they are vastly different films, I would also say. I want somebody to make a visual connection of, you know, that the point of, say, in the game show element and the sort of military aspect of Battle Royale purely just by, I don't know, what do you want to call them, like the hosts or something. The fact that you've got like Caesar Flickerman as a Stanley Tucci's character in Hunger Games there, like smiling with his teeth and doing this whole presenter thing. And then literally you could just cut to Katano just sat there laying on the sofa eating cookies. It's like these are two very different approaches to this kind of like ringleader type character. There are elements of this film that I think are really interesting and well constructed. There are elements where I where I think that they just do certain things for like ab- absolute shock value and it doesn't actually do much for the film. Like for me one of the most jarring scenes is right at the beginning when the teacher throws a knife at that at that girl to shut her up. And then she's just taken out so unceremoniously. I just I didn't know how to react then, especially considering that the entire premise of the film was then effectively watching these 42 children kill each other and the fact that they want to try and put so much emphasis on like each death and you just know that some just aren't going to get the same attention as others i don't know i think that i think a lot of the action i think a lot of the action is quite strong and i think a lot of the i think a lot of the core bonds that we get between like the three towards the end uh i think works quite well but i think some of the other sort of dramas i think are maybe a little too superficial to necessarily warrant the jumping to death aspect i think the one scene that probably was like borderline uncomfortable because one realistic but two just like did you really need to do that was the one guy who was like please sleep with me before we die and then he just reacts with the knife granted i loved her reaction to like you you tarnish my beauty and then she just goes full-on rage mode I also just didn't know how to feel about like the actual like the the ending especially I'm not sure if it I'm not sure if it necessarily came together in a in a a fully cohesive way and I think that is where the one advantage I would say for Hunger Games necessarily comes out whereas it's very clear because of the way in which they were fighting that system 
it was very easy for them to break that system by the end and actually have a very clear goal, which makes their ending have sense. Whereas here, I just don't know how they got out. And that bothers me significantly. So yeah, it sort of does tarnish some of my view of the film uh, film towards the end, especially considering that I just don't know how they go forward with that. Um, which also makes me question why there's even a sequel. I imagine the sequel is just a completely different set of characters. Because if it's the same people, well, obviously, if it's the same people who are alive towards the end, um, I would find that confusing. Yeah, I think where you brought up that... Um the death of that guy who sort of tried to sleep with uh, the girl before they, you know, he thought that they were both going to die. I think every man watching that was just like, kind of like, oh my God, like the way she stabbed. I was like, that was the one death that audibly like got a reaction from me, which I was like, oh, oh my God, that was uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. So fair play to for for doing that, especially after what he had just done. It was quite the sort of metaphor i guess as to to what that situation was and it's almost kind of like vignette like in some parts of the film uh where you were mentioning like certain deaths or certain characters in which they're like now we'll look at this situation now we'll look at that i didn't feel that it kind of was disconnected or anything like that um which i think when i was watching it at the start especially i was like oh this could be a problem going forward um but i think like a lot of anime and a, a lot of sort of like japanese cinema it does take a while for it to sort of like well i think they always kind of really build up and they want to have this like really meaningful end and i think that that kind of really comes through i think a lot of other stories and a lot of films i watch have the opposite thing of where you start off and you're like oh this is so cool this is really you know got so much going for it they go really front heavy with their idea and then they just lose it or you know it just kind of dips off towards the end whereas i think that again battle royale definitely has this kind of more like these are the messages and this is what we're kind of building to very much by the end. And they always have these more sort of sincere endings in these kind of movies, you know, especially with like the boat and the way that the characters with this kind of like open ending. So I think for me, it definitely wasn't one which I would be like, oh, this is like all time, you know, like greatest for as with Quentin Tarantino, because I think it does echo a lot of what I've loved already in films. Um, but what I did think this has over a lot of other films, a lot of live action films, again, is a kind of like sense of purpose and what it was trying to do. I really, one, loved some of the visuals in this film because I think right at the beginning, I felt like, oh, this is kind of like independent cinema kind of vibes. This is more sort of low budget. But interestingly, as it went along, I thought it was like almost aging and maturing as, as the movie went on. So I thought that the scene you mentioned, Craig, with like the knife throw, again, that scene very much to me kind of like, oh, this is what you're watching. This is kind of going to be like, oh, it's all blood and violence. And I thought, oh, is this going to be it for the rest of the film now in which they're like, it's just shocking. It's just like there for, for thrills. But I was glad that there was a lot more story there. And the fact that they took the effort to go to several of the school children and show not only like, oh, this is how they die. This is how they die. What about this situation? They approached each one with a level of emotion and there was a lot of themes that I really appreciated in this and a lot of like visual references and a lot of like script references. So what stood out to me was a lot of ideas of lost love, you know, throughout the film. And something I thought was quite effective was the scene where that character you had mentioned, Craig, she sort of kills that uh, girl and boy in which he was like I always loved you and you have this kind of like Romeo and Juliet-esque moment in which she's like oh if only I had known and I was like what's going on here this is so dramatic and then I think the line that she said uh was 
uh, which one is it? Oh yeah, what am I supposed to do? And then she just says, die. <laughs> and just comes along and shoots her. And I was like, perfect, that is amazing. So it's again, almost as if they're like satirizing that moment, which they'd almost done prior in the film in which you had had the two characters who committed suicide together, etc. So I think that it's interesting that they keep having these dynamics of like characters who love each other or fancy each other going along with the idea of school romance and all this kind of thing. But also then along with that, the idea of like finding happiness in death. There's so many like references to smiling when this person goes away. And so many times the characters do laugh or, or smile when they when they die. Um, and then just like I said, just the entire, a lot of the visuals and a lot of the themes and story that came through by the end of it, I was really on board with. So a lot of the moments in this film will really stick with me, I think, like something like Akira. But Eamon, what are, what are your thoughts? Have they changed since rewatching it all those years ago? Is is it still just as good? What what do you think? Um, I think when I first watched it, like I said earlier, it was a very much like a, oh my God, this is what film can be sort of thing. I hadn't seen anything like it. So rewatching it was quite eye-opening. Um, I noticed a few more flaws this time around. There were certain things that didn't really sit right with me. Um as you mentioned with the knife scene, it does just sort of come out of nowhere. Um, and I guess sort of the intention is to to sort of keep the viewer on their toes and, you know, let you know what you're in for of sort of all this impulsive violence and um, quite, you know, explicit violence, heavy, you know, heavy gore and blood and guts everywhere, um, which, you know, my inner gore hound is is quite pleased with, but you know, as a just a, an audience member and just a, a general film fan, it, it's like it loses its effectiveness after a while. It becomes okay, cool. Another person has been shot in the face. All right, fine. Another person has been you know exploded to death. Sure, um, and that's when I started to appreciate the sort of undertones of like the the dynamics between these characters a little bit more and the the desperation that sets in and um also the fear like it, it's quite funny how the these well most of the characters go from like a, a really privileged place at first like you see most of them like oh we skipped school because we felt like it to then like clutching each other while they die um and they've gone from like really cocky and just sort of don't have a care in the world to the most vulnerable they can be um and in those sort of final moments you can sort of see there's like that regret of like like you say the the lost loves and and this this sort of longing for a a healthy healthy relationship in their lives sort of thing um but if only they hadn't have been little scamps eh um but it's yeah it's i think it's not quite as effective as it was when i first saw it just because of the, the heavy violence just it, it kind of feels like an excuse to be controversial at times. Um, that's not to say it doesn't look cool because it does, but it doesn't mask sort of the holes in the in the in the story. I guess. Um, I think the thing that really stuck out for me was the sort of almost random, uh, not attraction, but sort of obsession that Kitano has with uh, Noriko towards the end. I was like, what? This doesn't doesn't really fit if it's meant to be this sort of you know governmental punishment for these children having this sort of personal connection to one of the students just feels really odd and like a late in the game twist that 
is there just kind of for shock value and is to kind of make to give like a an actual villain rather than the government program itself if that makes sense um so that really just sort of it was quite jarring i thought that um which i was a little bit disappointed with because i remembered it just being like oh this is great i love it <laughs> but um it's still an incredibly effective film i think yeah i think what's interesting about the elements you're talking there with like the story especially the ideas it has about the kind of like why they're doing the initiative etc and again we've talked about hunger games but we're also talking similar about this with running man last time is the fact that like oh they could have gone further with this theme or they could have been bolder and i think here it's again because it presents so much else instead i didn't feel that it was quite as like flawed as the running man but also you do watch and i think it just comes down to your sensibilities of like somebody who might be like oh i like you know my dystopian futures and or these kind of tales a bit more like gritty and realistic and it's also kind of a budget thing maybe as well but the fact that you know when you hear like oh the young have become privileged and they're like uh sort of pissing the parents off etc kind of idea you know you i kind of had this image of something like a key or something like oh are they all like rebels are they going around on motorcycles are they all like punks or something and they're ruling the roost but then they're like no they're just in school and the parents just don't like that they're they're brats basically which again you think oh well you could have gone the opposite angle with that you could have gone very much like they were like costume them up as very pr- privileged children and, and show how they're kind of like lording it over the parents to to make that even clearer but I think as a concept, it's quite funny almost. I don't think, again, I don't know if I like it or not. Just the fact that the parents are just like, you're, you're like going too far. Like, no, I'm in charge here kind of element. It's like, it's it's very much its own thing. And I don't know, it, it's, it's nothing there to it, which you can be like, oh, that's so interesting. It commentates on this and that. It's just like, that's what it is, <laughs> which is kind of like a, a, a satirical almost in a way. But the film doesn't again go go with it enough to make it a huge element of just the, the film. fact that you have a scene where literally a teacher's walking through a corridor and just gets randomly shanked by some kid yeah and then his, his response is all right fine i'm very happy to watch you all die in a government facility i kind of think that they should have gone a little bit harder with that though um because for all intents and purposes the two inciting acts for this class being sent to, you know, kill each other on an island, is they skip school and, like, he's left alone in the classroom and then he gets stabbed in, like, the butt, which is fine. Um, and you kind of, although the the sort of the, the prologue sets up that, yes, the youth have become, like, unruly and stuff, you don't really see it aside from those two things. And I feel like there needed to be something else to escalate that um whether it's like you know just crime on the streets or like you know a fight outside or something it just kind of like you say it felt a little bit weak of like we're not going to come to school today because we don't want yeah, to sure they're fine. really unruly kids <laughs> and yet they still care about the very superficial teen dramas like learning how to play guitar and just like getting in relationships it really doesn't gel especially when you have that one scene where they just sat in a fucking dorm just like playing guitar together i'm like okay the, the one thing i will say does work for what they're going for uh, one i guess is again the most clear of like i just don't like these kids you know is the one of the first kids who dies when he activates the collar 
And again, he has a major issue with him in which, you know, and it's quite funny in the sense that he's just like, you only turned up because you thought you were getting a school trip, etc. And you're like, there was children like that at school, you know, fair enough. So he, he takes issue with that. And I think the fact that he is like a former teacher is quite effective. So when they have this picture, like at the beginning and the end, I was like, oh, I wish they had done more with that, like this actual personal connection that he's got with the class, etc. Might have been a bit cheesy if he was literally there, like, you spat at me one time and you did this to me. But again, if they want to go down this whole, like, you know, parents getting revenge element, that's what they could have done. Because it, it is very clear, even when he's like, your parents have been notified that this has happened. I'm like, do they care? You know, like, are they are they on board with this? But it almost does work to what they're doing in terms of rather than the Hunger Games, which is like, this is part of our society. This is this big showy thing. The fact that the kids don't know about it suggests that it's a secret covert operation, which works for what other stories have done in the past in terms of like governments, like secretly taking people or like aliens, like, you know, in Predator, etc., like, you know, abducting people and sort of hunting them, all that kind of stuff. It works for that element of like, oh, we didn't know this thing was going on, this secret operation. But you do have to question when like, you know, 40 kids are going to be going missing every few months or weeks, etc. Like, you know, does nobody know about this? But what I would say, though, is that the element of like the fact that they're all brats, etc., isn't shown all too much in the setup, but I do like how the game itself brings that forward. So the fact that they're quite normal children, as you say beforehand, but the game itself brings out like the dickish elements of them. The fact that you've got that girl who's like, I never liked you in school and that, you know, you got with my boyfriend, blah, 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 blah. And I never liked that. And then there's the other girl, I think they kind of have their own like monologues, is it when they're dying? And the fact that she was like, I didn't like being called ugly or I didn't like the fact that I wasn't popular. I think that, works quite effectively a lot of the time just to clarify everyone definitely knows this is going on there's a load of media reporters towards the beginning of the film desperately wanting to know which child survived so it's very clear that people know about this also it's a policy passed in government obviously people know about it i think this is the case of the kids don't know that it's their class who's going to be selected because they're just uh, selecting it at, at random. And also the fact that they're very willing to kill teachers who oppose it, because obviously they, they wheel out the body of like of like their current teacher who was like, he, he objected. True. Just wanted to clarify, I agree with basically everything else. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it's it's like Amy was saying earlier, it's, it's like it's not a big televised show, but the assumption I got from it was that it is like a reported thing. It's an act that people know about, but yeah, it's sometimes a bit confused in that sense. That's again where I think the biggest themes come through is again that idea of like lost love and, you know, like the frictions of school and even that scene, which again, I thought was one of the ones where it went too far. I enjoyed a lot of the other deaths and interactions, but when those girls all die in the lighthouse, one, I was like visually like, oh, how cool is this? This, this lighthouse looks great and everything like that. But the actual like kind of like fight itself, I was a bit like, whoa, this, this is just so chaotic. And it was a bit hard to grasp with the idea of like, would after surviving in two days, would they have turned on each other that quickly? Especially because it's quite confusing because this film seems to use a mix of their surnames and first names, which confused me sometimes. And also that girl, I was like, she was like, oh, she saw him attacking with the axe. I was like, wait, who, who's this again? It was, it was a bit of a mix up there. But um, I, yeah, I thought that was one of the examples with the, the sort of death scenes didn't work quite as well for me. I couldn't disagree more. I love that entire scene. I love. I just love the entire like one person makes one mistake and it just escalates out of control in this beautiful like Mexican standoff situation. She just wants to kill some. She just wants to kill a guy 
who she thinks is like is bad i think that's fair and then obviously just things get out of control i i just imagine that that's sort of like just as like a sketch where somebody just tries to do something like inane and then it just has those consequences and then everyone's just like what have we done so yeah, I, I, I probably would just I enjoyed it I would just say that out of all of them it's just like that was then the weakest one for me but I think it like you say it does have a lot of strong elements like I love the idea of like who was it one of you has poisoned it I like that element see as well. I, like, I know, would argue that I I think the weakest deaths are just um are the are the four boys who are trying to do that data hacking and then and then just the transfer student just shows up and he's like boom boom I'm just like oh there was a lot of potential with this. I wanted to see how far they would get with this. I I just think that they set up an interesting like like an interesting smoking gun, no pun intended, and it just basically goes nowhere. I was like quite disappointed. I was almost giving like nicknames to them in my head. Like he was trigger happy. Like you just come along and shoot a machine gun around and just hope a lot of people die. And then it was almost like the bride was uh, the lady who was like killing all like the the sort of guys who tried to hit on her and like a lot of the women that she didn't like, etc. Eamon, was there any sort of standout deaths for you? Uh, I think the one that, that sticks out for me is the accidental one um, that Shuya, Shoya, um, <laughs> when he's not sure if he uh, he kills him when they fall down the hill. And he, he kind of has that internal moment of like, oh my God, what have I done? Have I actually done this? Does this make me a bad person? Um, which I think is a really interesting theme on like, you know, guilt and responsibility because in that setting, are the kids responsible for killing each other or is it the government and the soldiers and Kitano? Um and I think that just a short little panicked moment sums that up really nicely. Because um, it's just like, it's just chaos. It's just chaos. This film is chaos in the best way. Um, and I, I really like his performance of that as well. Because even though it's quite like shrill and like very, very loud and shouty, it's so clear that he's utterly terrified of the concept that he's murdered somebody do you know what i mean which is just again it just strips them back down to being children really juvenile obviously because they're just terrified at what they've done and the two concepts i'd say that really stand out again if you want to sort of you know say japanese hunger games or whatever which is you know really strikingly different again is the type of deaths that you have and like you said those situations which push them to be like in which moments in which they're like, are they coming to kill me? Are they going to like, you know, like try and get me to safety in which they kill someone? Then they were like, oh no, I actually came here to see if you were okay. There's a lot of elements like that. So they play around with a lot of like, how could characters die? People who are like, we don't want to be a part of this, you know, like come and join us. And then they get killed. Whereas again, Hunger Games is very much like, it's been set up as a game. It's like an Olympics, you know, kind of element to it. And the characters who don't want to kill somebody kind of go with the angle of like oh well i'll just survive in the wild and i think they even say that in like the first film like the majority of you will die through starvation or you know some other element and the fact that obviously that film has crazy mutant dogs and fires and all that kind of stuff but this film is playing around with that element of like distrust a lot more and like how do deaths happen and the fact that you know there's so many moments in which you know you see 
various types of like with the guy as you mentioned Eamon when he's got the axe in his head and he's like are you okay and he's like uh, I think so sort of moment you're like oh you are it's not such, okay it's such a cool practical effect as well yeah. like I know it's kind of like a, a generic one but it looks great because it is just like embedded in like the side of his skull because at first you're like how is this kid alive you know there's an axe in his head <laughs> and then he just you know he's like I think I'm fine and then just dies in front of yeah that's what's Um, quite effective about all the deaths really is they never actually just do the typical like i'm dead straight away kind of moment they all hang on which i suppose is pretty pretty realistic even mm. like that girl who has the arrow through her neck right at the beginning and again i thought that was effective because when they first went in i was a bit disappointed like oh really they've already turned on each other they're already like all now warriors killing each other but the fact that that guy came out like what have i done and then the other guy saw picked up the arrow and then he was like oh he's coming for me and like i you know that showed me then like oh okay this is the angle you're going with and i think you're doing this this quite well but the other element i like which again i think is speaks to the satire of it and also the kind of kooky ideas that they like to do with this kind of stuff is the weapons the fact that like when they said like some of you will have better weapons than others i was like okay maybe just one person will have a gun and as we saw like later on somebody will have a tracker but no the fact that literally people had like fans and like (laughs) he had he's got a pot lid. lid Yeah, like a pot lid. But even that becomes effective because, you know, when he's getting attacked by uh, the transfer student, he uses it to like stop like as a shield, which I was like, that's still, you know, using your resources and stuff like that. There's so many characters throughout to go like, oh, what's your weapon? Oh, that's a cool weapon to have. And I'd like the element of like, we need to kill them to get their weapon. The fact that she takes that taser, it's so useful to her later on, the bulletproof vest, that adds a really interesting element to it. And it really, like I said, about the ending really wraps things up well. I love that line. And there's a lot of lines I actually noted, which I thought were like really beautiful. But this one of just like, we all carry our weapons, you know, through us with life. And like, you know, we don't know when we have to use them, etc. And I thought that that was really effective, especially considering that it, it had showed us that in very much like varying degrees of, of how effective effective they were. Because I think the other thing that people should probably be thinking of comparing this to, granted in like a different, in like a, a different but similar vein, is Squid Game. Because obviously that is mm, that is literally just death games. But they are in that situation, people are there because they need the money and they need to get the situation. So those personal motivations come into it a lot more. Um, so that's why I I was just like, oh yeah, that's what that's what that one character reminded me of it reminded me of a lot of the incentives of the characters in squid game that's a good point is that you know again people could say oh japanese hung games or american battle royale but again people just love a death death game really don't they and so i think that that is you know a popular story to have within a lot people of these people are sick and twisted what can i say um <laughs> <laughs> the silly one to me was uh, when the head came in with the grenade in his mouth and uh, oh, yeah. immediately Craig I just saw like the Simpsons of poo just in my head like ooh a head grenade it's full of heady goodness that was <laughs> just the so fact that he's just there in his mouth <laughs> like a grenade works the same way without a hat without a head yeah, grenades are often thrown through windows you don't need to give it a buffer <laughs> needed padding i just love that it's as if like he was like the shock of this alone will make them not run away (laughs) (laughs) i guess that's another moment of this kind of like weird almost wacky setting that it is because it is like there are moments of humor and just odd comedy that work 
but it's just a little bit like just unsettling almost. Like you say, putting a grenade in the head is um, a unique tactic to say the least. And I guess that's why I didn't have as much of an issue. But again, maybe I suppose with the rewatch, it might be different, Eamon, with uh, Katano's character. Because even though, yes, the kind of like, uh, well, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say the obsession with uh, Noriko came out of nowhere because there's obviously some sort of setup to like his daughter and things like that. And I love that moment, which again is very like symbolic and kind of like the way it's shot. You know, it's kind of like crouching tiger kind of vibes of you know he comes in with the umbrella when it's like raining and everything like that so again some idea of like favoritism or symbolism there but one i loved it when like everything was over and it was just that empty schoolyard and he's there doing the exercises with like the weird workout song that just reminded me of like the very cheesy kind of like dumb kids songs that you get and again which feel kind of weird and creepy so when you see it in that context of just an empty schoolyard and just him i was like yeah this is perfect and it really oh, showed how talk, well if we're going to talk about creepy and instructional we need to talk about the video that informed of everyone of the game i love oh she was great i love she's that. so funny i really <laughs> hoped that what they were going to do is at the end they were going to detonate the collar as the demonstration it's like, but don't go into the areas, otherwise the collars will go off. Dee, dee, dee. No, no, no! I was just impressed that she named all the candidates. I thought it was because it seemed like a pre-recorded video, the idea of like, eh, everyone watches this video. But then the fact that she named each one, I was like, oh, okay, no, they do this every time. Yeah. <laughs> you know how auto cues work, David? Yeah, I know. I just, the vibe they were going for, the idea of like, oh, this is the the video like, oh. that everyone watches. So okay. the fact that she had like listed all those current candidates, I was like, oh, she must do this like every time commitment for fair Yeah, play. that's <laughs> why I also thought that they might have detonated her collar at some point. Like have a reason to re-record every single time. The moment where Katano is doing the workout scene, I thought was great. And just the sort of, the framing of that is like a lot of shots in this. I thought it was really like, nicely constructed with the old school in the background but my favorite by far and again this was such a good cut it was like and i could see and why they would have brought this up in film studies was just the idea of like oh you know i wonder what happened to those cookies cut to him eating the cookies i was like yes perfect that was so good i absolutely loved that just the the harshness of it just the fact that he, it wasn't like him just looking at the screens eating them the fact he was just there like slumped on a couch just like nah, rah, rah. i was like yes this it's it contrasts so well the different situations i loved it i think uh my favorite shot still has to be the little girl clutching the doll and smiling oh from the very beginning for, right from the start because it is so creepy because she just doesn't stop smiling and staring and it's like wow okay this is intense but because she's dressed in like the school uniform with the doll and just covered in blood it's like all of these things mashed together just is very very unsettling and the fact we're never told who that is either because my initial thought is oh i that must be some this must be a flash forward so we see that that's going to be the survivor and it's just how the game is twisted mm. nope it's just a different uh it's just a different battle royale that she's the winner of it's basically again if we're talking about hunger games how like an alternate universe in which like rue or someone like went <laughs> the other way <laughs> so uh, yeah i i thought the same thing though i was like oh is this like a jump forward or something like that but but no it's uh just showing us psycho crazy children which similar to that you know, the bride, as I labeled her, where, like where she first comes in and has the torch under her face, etc. So she does have quite a few frightening moments. I almost felt that she was like echoing that girl, you know, like in some ways that they kind of set up that 
character with the doll at the beginning to almost be like not that it literally is like her grown up but it's like as if like each person takes their role and she's the one that's taken that kind of like psychotic role in this which makes it believable i think in the terms like oh who's left especially because there's like what 42 we said which again other ones you know if we're talking numbers and stuff it's like 24 for the hunger games there's a lot of people in this and i did like how they listed it they said all their names they always announced each one they weren't too lazy with any of the deaths. There obviously was the lighthouse one, which was a lot, but there wasn't a kind of like, oh, there was a bomb that went off and killed like 20 of them at once or anything like that. They did go to the effort of showing pretty much all those deaths. For me, as I said, a lot of the things that will stick with me the most is one also finally is the music. I think the music is beautiful and amazing. Like that that soundtrack is so good, um, especially, you know, obviously they use like, classical well-known sort of like pieces of music as well but the actual original score as well is just really well used and really like heightens the the film itself um and the visuals like when i said about like quotes and stuff earlier um you know i i really like the one that uh nanahara or shuya sort of ends with or one of his last lines when he says you know i'll keep fighting uh, i'll keep on fighting even though i don't know how I was like, that's really like poetic. I, I really like that. I think that's like quite what well, a lot of people in life would sort of relate to that. And then also the scene with uh, Kawada when he's looking back as, you know, why did she smile? I thought that not only was that a really well-written scene and sort of really set up the relationship we have with those three characters going forward and that kind of poetic thing about why did she smile but also just the composition of that like it's such a beautiful shot of like him at the front he's smoking so you've also got the drama of that there's like the stew in the background like on the stove you've got the layers of him at the front the two characters at the background just the lighting everything about that i just loved so i think the this is what stood out to me the most is especially f- for the last lot of films that we've watched that this really did stand out in terms of like really bringing us a game in terms of some of its visuals and its its music. Yeah, it's incredibly um, stylized in places in a really subtle way, I thought, um, especially with uh, the cinematographer's use of lighting as well, I thought, um, or lack of at times. Um, there's a really a sort of tragically beautiful scene quite early on where there's a couple who basically decide to die together instead of participating. And their conversation, which is basically just like, you know, I don't really want to do this without you sort of thing. Don't really want to be here at all. I don't want to die. <laughs> I thought it was it's quite touching. It's quite sort of, it shows the desperation of the entire situation. Um, and it was just, and the because they're in like a cave or something, at the, or it's quite dark. And it was like, it sort of encapsulated their specific situation um, without being so gloomy that, you know, people on Twitter would complain that it's dark like Game of Thrones. So it was fine. Um, but it was just, uh, yeah, it was just quite beautiful in a very, very sad way, I thought. Yeah, or even to like contrast that, even when you got like later on when the hackers like hack their system. And I thought that even just that was quite well sort of composed, like all the screens turning red and green, Except, you know, like now I think a filmmaker would be so tempted to go with like, oh, let's make these glow, like this really dark and the entire room and everything. But no, it just looks so, so stale and then overtaken by the graphics, which are so like kind of like 90s, 2000s virtual computer sort of effects. It almost was to the benefit in which now they'd be tempted to do some 3D stuff and everything like that. I thought that that really worked well for it. Yeah. And in fact, you saying stale actually is quite, yeah, quite apt. 
I think like the the use of costumes, the fact that they've got very pale sort of beige school uniforms, really like makes the blood stand out more, even more so I would say than like a white shirt because that just looks like yeah fine, but it's it just the way that it soaks into the that beige it. It just looks so. It makes them stand out against the green, like of the fear of the of the island, even more than they than they would in like a typical like black blazer or do you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I thought it was a really subtle use to to highlight just how like out of place they are. Yeah, and the fact that it was quite like lived in as well. Again, I don't know how many of these places they just found. I suppose Japan does have quite a lot of like old buildings and abandoned places, but it wasn't just oh forest jungle. You know, it was like, you know, the old huts and the houses and everything like that. Okay, take those cassettes, rewind them and play them again because it's time for VHS Corner. This week, I had a look at some of the behind the scenes of this film and specifically, well, I'd say production history. But a lot of what I found is here are the countries who try to have this film banned. The first country that very much tried to get this film banned Japan. Many members of the Japanese parliament tried to get the novel that this film was based on banned, but they didn't succeed. Uh, They tried again when the film was released. Um, Both efforts resulted in the novel and the film becoming even more successful as people bought the film, uh, bought the book and went to see the film just to see what all the fuss was about specifically. So they massively, massively failed in because of that. Another country in which this was banned... South Korea. This is uh, this is less interesting. This is purely because of the graphic violence scenes. Although South Korea does have a tendency of banning anything that has overtly Japanese culture. So I'm surprised that uh, that wasn't called on more. But it was just the, no, we actually find this quite uh, violent and problematic. Fair enough. However, contrary to popular belief, this film was never banned in the United States. Basically, because when it was uh, when it was first released, it wasn't uh, sig- it wasn't significantly distributed. And what essentially happened was this: uh, Toei refused to license the movie for North American distribution and rejected offers from several American companies. So this resulted in their licensing fee being unusually high for this kind of film. So smaller independent distribu- uh, distributors could not afford to do it, and then the larger distributors refused to pay. Also, this was released around the time of the Columbine High School shootings. So there was very much a desire in America to not really promote anything which involved, you know, high school students killing each other. So this created a narrative of the film being banned over in the United States when it wasn't. It was just a very, very... It was just a a massive series of unfortunate events going forward. The second thing I think I'll talk about is... I think we've already highlighted this a little bit, but... Uh, Quentin Tarantino's relationship with this film. Obviously, we all know he's gone on record saying that this is one of his favourite films from the last 20 years or so. However, his love for the film has gone past that point. So he has actually cast members of this film in his own films. Specifically in Kill Bill Volume 1, the character Gogo Yabari is played by uh, Chiaki Kuriyama, uh, who is uh, Takako uh, Chigusa in this film. So specifically loved it so much, he's actually gone forward and actually looked for members of this cast to put in his own films specifically. 
The next thing I think to t- uh, to tell you about, uh, I sort of alluded to this, but this is the relationship this film has to battle uh, to Battle Royale Two. This is specifically because of the director Kinji uh, Fukasaku. Uh, during the production of this film, he he celebrated his seventieth birthday, uh, which is obviously a big milestone. Uh, he unfortunately did pass away two years later, and obviously this overlapped with the production history for Battle Royale Two, which meant that what ends up happening is his son Kenta Fukasaku uh, completed the film on his behalf. And released it in honor of his father. Obviously, this has like the same sort of effect that many films that a director takes on and tries to complete for somebody else has. I think I'm reminded of say like AI and the entire like relationship between Steven Spielberg and like Kubrick for that for that example. You're not able gonna be you're not gonna be able to capture the same magic. And I imagine that's what happened here. Plus also just we alluded to that film seems really, really long. Two more, uh, two more general details then, which I think are just quite cool. Uh, so, the magazine that is used uh, to basically have instructions of how to make the bombs, the ticking clock, that is an actual magazine that was published by an anti-Japanese government activist group called uh, Higashi Asia Hanichi Buso Sensen. So the East Asia Anti-Japanese Armed Front in the 1970s. So they actually took that magazine and just put it in the film for the purposes of bomb making. Uh, And finally, and this is probably the shortest fact, none of the casts were given a stunt double. So every single action that we saw all of those kids doing, that was just the kids. They had no replacement at any point. They all did their own stunts, which considering the things that we've praised the film for doing insofar as like some of the practical effects, some of the, some of the actual sort of combat work they had to do is very, very impressive. Uh, and I think adds a lot to this film, but that is everything for me for VHS corner. So what do we think? Is there anything that we talked, uh, that was talked about there that stands out particularly to you guys? Well, definitely the stunt double thing, because I was thinking throughout the watching it, you kind of was like, you know, looking out for the fake face or, you know, the like different face or like hair in front of them etc and i never really did get thrown by that so i suppose that's why it's effective and it makes sense a bit more why you have a lot of people like clambering around and it adds to the element of like you know they're just school children and scared but sometimes it does add to the element of like do they know what they're doing here do they because there's so many moments which they're grabbing tables or different things and they're like no no we must do this oh, we must do that and it's just like yeah but hat, hats off to them i wonder if anybody got like very injured or not because <laughs> there's a lot of that's why i was talking about the kung fu is just like it's not kung fu but there's a lot of flipping around and jumping with guns and doing all sorts of crazy things in this film yeah you know people getting thrown down the side of hills etc you know <laughs> yeah it's really hard to say if anyone actually got hurt but i think it is safe to say given how many like ammunitions were generally set off they they probably knew what they were doing so probably did keep everyone as safe as physically possible also interesting with the South Korea element because that has become such a bigger part of the world for popular media now that since we've had Parasite and, as you mentioned, Craig, Squid Game. So the fact that they were sort of against it for violence. Not to mention K-pop. <laughs> well, a, a different crime being committed there. But the fact that uh, <laughs> the fact that they have like produced such like kind of violent works as well is, is, is quite interesting. I, I was going to say, I do actually have an extra fact for you oh yeah go for it okay so kitano in this film is played by takeshi kitano 
he hosted Takeshi's Castle. I read that name and I was just like, is this the guy? I was like, surely not. <laughs> it's it's the guy. He hosted Takeshi's Castle. Oh my God. Which I think is just perfect and adds like such an, a fun extra layer to the whole, his whole character. Um, now that you mention it, because I, I knew that I... I saw the teacher. I was like, I know him from something. I just don't know what. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think he hosted it for about like four years or something. I just kind of want Battle Royale meets Takeshi's Castle now, like actual. <laughs> Absolutely. That is just Squid Game. <laughs> that is just Squid Game. That is true. I was going to say I would watch that and then <laughs> you're so right. It's just Squid Game. Right. Well, uh, yes, lots of interesting stuff there. And thanks for the extra fact as well. That, that, that was that was a cool one. We now get on to our final segment, which is our usual task of deciding whether today's film deserves a place in our movie vault. So for new listeners or guests, we'd like to think of this as our time capsule of films good, sometimes bad, that should be remembered for someone to dig up in the future. So should Battle Royale gain the honor of a place in our movie vault and be remembered for all time? Craig, what what is your initial thoughts? So my initial leaning is yes, but of what I would uh, because I think that this film does a lot of uh, a lot of interesting things, and I think insofar as let's face it, there's there's been a large legacy discussion around it. Insofar as is it the originator of the concept of just like violent death games, and I think the film does stand on its own merit. Like it's debatable at actions whether it's perfect but then i think we have a lot of films in the movie vault which aren't perfect so i would say i would advocate for yes i do understand if we think that say some of the more chaotic elements don't quite come together in some in some areas that we probably wouldn't want to put it in uh what i would say is if anyone says hunger games does this better i i will just shoot you in the face you'll throw a dagger in their forehead (laughs) Yeah, that is just the caveat. Yeah, I think that it's it's one that I was definitely going into thinking like, you know, this could easily be one that we already know will go in just from legacy alone. And even though sometimes we've had those conversations of actually it doesn't live up to its legacy or we don't think that that legacy is justified, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think that this film is something that you watch and then it justifies it, but also for different reasons. The fact that I wouldn't put it in there is just like, oh, the best death game film and as we mentioned the star was actually where some of the more tropey obvious stuff was happening but there's so many like great symbolic messages that come later on so many great visuals and just the mix of like we said satire violence different sort of like genres and and tropes i thought was really effective but you know i i, I could be swayed either way amen what, what, what do you think uh i i think it should yeah um even though as we mentioned there's there's bits that don't work uh, quite as well as they should. Um, I think just mainly because it, it yeah, it stirred up controversy. Um, and whether you think that's for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, it still generated such a huge conversation about violence in film. Um, I suppose obviously, you know, it, it came out at a time when that was quite a sensitive subject and it's completely understandable as to why it raised such an issue and, uh, censors were concerned about it um, but I think it, it's also so much more than that I think it's more than it's controversy I think there are moments of like real beauty in it as we were saying like even just visually um, you know the, the cinematography is gorgeous in this and it's just a it's just a hell of a film you know I think <laughs> there's just to be sort of quite succinct about it it's just like 
you know, it's stupidly entertaining, like for a, a varying degrees. And like, you know, there's just something about crazy action and violent kills that there's a part of me that's just like, that's rad. <laughs> to be really simple about it, it's just rad. Um, I think, yeah, the plot is a little bit shaky at times, but it's such a fun concept that it's really hard not to be like completely on board with it from the get-go. I think you've uh, made me now want to, like, if you see, saw those Hall of Fame sort of, like, plaques and stuff i think the movie vault should have like little titles below which is like it's just rad you know <laughs> maybe that's what i'll do on the letterbox i'll just put a little description of you know sums up why why i went in there but um yeah i think definitely it, it it's one that you come away from going like you said it, it's a crazy experience and i think that yeah it does sort of live up to its expectations and, and what you expect and it is a great reflection of you know, world cinema and sort of genre. So Into the Movie Vault goes Battle Royale from 2000. Do you agree? Let us know at home. What would you like to see us discuss and what should go into the Movie Vault in the future? But for now, we go to our final segment, which is this week's Endgame. We're in the Endgame now. <laughs> okay, Endgame time. So one of my favourite little factors about the film that we didn't really discuss is the fact that throughout you get a constant running tally of how many people are alive in this game. And I think that's something that I, I think a lot of films could benefit from, just actually giving us uh, like a running tally of just how much death and carnage has, has occurred. So that's what we're going to do in today's game called Death Count. Basically, very simple premise. I am going to tell you the title of the film. I want you to estimate how many on-screen deaths occur in that film. Very simple premise. Whoever is closest will get the point. What if there's like an explosion of like a house or something? You know, is it like who could be in that house? If the people are shown on screen to have died and we know that they're in that house, then fine. <laughs> I was just thinking Godzilla and stuff. If a building falls down, it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, at the point where an article has been able to actually quantify these deaths, you presumably have to show that there are ways in which there was, this will have happened. Okay, so as always, the uh, the prize that we'll be playing for is the opportunity to choose from a selection of films what is discussed in the next episode. So all three of us have a suggestion for this week. So David, tell us a little bit about the film that you would like to put forward. Uh, so my suggestion... Uh, is very much going in a, a very different angle in terms of tone. As we mentioned at the beginning of this, we sort of want to lighten the tone for sort of the violence that we've had. Um, it also so sort of, I think, quite appeals to the sort of guests that we have on the show uh, in terms of covering something historic, but also something very fun with a lot of like very funny characters who are performed in a very certain way. Uh, it's from 1996. And the main sort of link to Battle Royale and I guess our feelings as a whole is that obviously there's many times in that film in which people are stuck in locations such as cabins. And I'd say that we all feel that we've got cabin fever. It's burning in, in our brains. We've got cabin fever. It's driving us insane. So that's my suggestion for this week. Interesting. I think David giving more of a spoiler than usual as to what his film could be. Uh, Eamon, tell us a little bit about your film. Um, okay, so my film is from 2015. Um, it is a very bombastic, very 
just massive chaotic road trip of a movie um the connection to battle royale is it's kind of a bit different if there is a piece of music that it shares in its marketing um that is used in battle royale interesting so for me my film is from 2004 i think that the thing that i desperately need after watching battle royale is a sense of optimism and i think that my film very much has optimism to its core because its core premise is about rescuing people and making sure that people all around the world are rescued other small links uh the primary setting is an island the primary characters are children and while this while battle royale had classical music i would say this film spawned a song which has become a classic in my heart yeah maybe not reveal in the chat what the film could possibly be it could be that it could it could be something completely different but obviously you'll only find out if one of you wins and chooses my film so you don't have to go for the film that you are advocating for you can go for any of the films have been suggested but before that we actually have to do the game so are you ready yeah wonderful so i i think we'll start out light we'll start with the film uh that suggested this idea to me as well because i've recently been to belfast belfast has the museum dedicated to the titanic or as has been described to me there are people who are too proud of a thing that sunk so your first film how many on-screen deaths occur in the film titanic and what I want you to do is I want you to private DM me your answer on Zoom. Just a reminder, Titanic, one of the greatest tragedies uh, in, in the world. Okay, so the answers have gone in very different directions. Uh, Eamon, what was your suggestion? Um, my answer was 100 because I was, I was basically debating slash weighing up whether them all freezing to death at the end would count because it just goes really silent really quickly um and obviously you can just see like a sea of floating bodies um and off the top of my head i can't think of how many people were on the titanic um which is a little bit bad considering i literally went to the titanic museum in southampton about a month ago um so i kind of feel bad for that <laughs> i was thinking the same thing i was like i can't remember the the toll and again i might have gone too high or low uh, but i was like i'm trying to think again of like how many people might have been on that ship and i went with the same thought but i went the opposite way because i just think well we do see a ship land on an ocean full of floating bodies even though we get the floating you know like frozen bodies which like you said it, it is afterwards we do also see that you know like ship land on a bunch of people and people like hit propellers and stuff so i went for 1235 <laughs> so one guess is 100 one guess is 1235 the correct answer 307 oh. <laughs> so Eamon gets the first point oh, okay cool. that 35 really could have swung it i thought <laughs> I, at this point, I would like to thank uh, the article from Collider that has all of these stats broken down for me. So, our next film. Are we ready? Mm -hmm. The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. We're talking deaths in general, not human deaths. Yeah, we're talking deaths in general. So, David, no excuse for being xenophobic. 
the deaths of orcs probably count in this situation. Ooh, this is close. Eamon, what did you go for? Uh, I went for 500. Um, and David went for? 520. <laughs> so we have a real prices rice scenario of just who's going to edge out. So you probably have gone for the same logic that the majority of the deaths come in like the Helm's Deep battle. Yeah, pretty much. That is the correct logic. You are both very close to the correct answer. But who is closest? Because the correct answer... 468, oh. which means another Oof. point for Eamon. Skin of my teeth. Yeah. Our next film, let's go a little bit historic. Let's go with the film Troy. How many deaths are in Troy? Mm, this has been a while since I've seen this one. Yeah, same. Yeah. Um, Fun fact, I recently saw a, a review of this film, which was, I draw... It's like, I can forgive factual inaccuracies, but I draw the line at Achilles being straight. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, right, okay. I just think of Phil from Hercules, the Disney one. I'm a shagna heel of his. <laughs> oh, you're really going to make me br- bring out the calculators on this one. Oh, David, what did you go for? I went for 380. 380. So why did you go for that number? I don't know. I was tr- thinking like it's big. I know there is like a big army sequence, like, you know, face off at the end. But again, I was like, well, if Lord of the Rings had less than 500, I'm like, surely this had less. And again, I can remember how many people might have died in things like the whole horse thing. So I was just like, let's just try and meet in the middle. The whole horse thing. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that gimmick. <laughs> okay. And... Eamon, you went for? I went for 700, and I think I've overshot that massively. Oh. Um, I just, I, I've not watched it in years, and all I can remember is, like, just the massive armies and then a scene on the beach with just people dying all around Brad Pitt. So I was just like, sod it. <laughs> yeah, my first reaction was something like 800, to be fair, but then I just took the Lord of the Rings thing through me. Yeah. So, Eamon, you are correct insofar as you have overshot yeah. it. David, you have undershot it. Okay. So the correct answer is 572. Oh. So the math, David, you are 192 out. Eamon, you are 128 out. So that's another point for Eamon. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. (laughs) Amazing. Damn it. Okay. Let's go for Grindhouse. Oh, that's such a good one. The 2007 film Grindhouse. Wait, so are we are we talking both parts of Grindhouse then? Yes, it's because it, the article says both are plenty of fun, but Planet Terror ends up doing most of the heavy yeah. lifting when it comes to Grindhouse's body yeah. count. Okay, cool. Okay, I've probably. So, David, if you would like to reevaluate, <laughs> if you would like to reevaluate your answer, word- you have this one chance. I heard the word planet and was like, oh, David. I went for 800. <laughs> I was like, I was going to go for it for Lord of the Rings. Uh, why not? Eamon? Uh, I went for 130. Because um, I kind of, again, I've not watched it in years, but I don't seem to remember Planet Terror doing like stupid numbers of deaths. But I, yeah. The correct answer is 310 so that is another point oh, for Eamon. I've not even seen that, so I, I can't say that. Like, oh, what am I basing this off? It's <laughs> random. Our next film, 
Now, don't get tricked out by this. It's 300. How many deaths are in 300? That kind of did influence my Troy decision, though. In what way? Well, it was 380, so I was just kind of like, oh, well, that's like a mythical film, which has the number 300 right, in okay. it, so it's like inspired my choice. <laughs> okay, all right, well, let, let's see if you get inspired again, and let's see if that actually punishes you. Okay, so we'll start with Eamon. <laughs> so how many deaths do you think are in the film 300? I went for 290. To take off 10. Why not? And David, what did you go for? 1,000. <laughs> Okay, so the correct answer is literally you just double the number. It's 600. <laughs> oh, okay. Amazing. But that means that Eamon still gets the oh, point because God David's sake. 400 out. I was like, I keep And Eamon's 310 out. It's just the Snyder thing. I was like, it seems so, like I've seen it, but again, I can't remember much about it. So I'm like, it just seems such a Snyder thing to have some huge army and all of them get wiped out or something. Well, if we're going to talk about huge armies, let's go for our next film, which is Kingdom of Heaven. The 2005 film Kingdom of Heaven. Although for the viewers and listeners at home, if you've now, if you have not worked it out, David cannot win. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I just need to do what I usually do on this and have some kind of reputation. Okay, David, you've gone for... 124. Any particular thinking behind this? Uh again medieval battles but again if if we're just going purely off like the fact of like ones we would see and stuff like that and this is not the type of thing which is like sci-fi or like high fantasy so i can't imagine like a huge force like wiping out loads of people so okay and Eamon, you've gone for i went for 350 um mainly because i have not seen it in years and uh, killing off loads of people in a massive army battle scene Seems like the type of thing that Ridley Scott would do. So, yeah. Yep. So, a reminder, this is the Ridley Scott blockbuster, which got a superior director's cut on home media, in which the kill count was 610. So, that is another point to aim. <laughs> See, my thought was just like, it's not Lord of the Rings. There's not like, they don't break the dam and like a bunch of trees are like, they're <laughs> stomping around them. But maybe <laughs> yeah. I'm wrong. Well, I was wrong. So, very much like David trying to find honour in this game, our next film is going to be the 2003 The Last Samurai. Okay, an interesting one. Uh, so, Eamon, you've gone for... 43. Pure okay. guess. And David, you've gone for... 62. Okay. So, you've gone for very low answers this time. The correct answer is... 558. <laughs> I remember there was like a army sequence with you know Tom Cruise. Then why the didn't you factor it because in? Because I was like, they're samurais. Would they go around like, you know, like wiping out loads of people? This is more, you know, then they're more armored. I was uh... Yeah, but the, the plot of The Last Samurai is an American learning the way of the samurai. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. So you hear that right, everyone. David has now got a point. <laughs> David is on the board. Okay. So our penultimate film for this round, Hard Boiled. Okay, again, you've gone for some very low answers. Uh, David, you've gone for... 28. And Eamon's gone for... 35. So fun fact about this film, it has the exact same amount of deaths as Titanic in 307. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that is... 
another point for Eamon. What is this film? I don't even think I, I don't even know what it is. It's um, it's from John Woo. Ah, uh, okay. Um, the picture. I don't recognize the actors. Yeah, I, that's all I, I, I thought can we tell. Maybe that's do a, a low numbered one. I was like, they can't all be armies, but maybe they are. Yeah, so I probably should have said that the article was the the top ten films with the highest body count. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's only fitting that the final film that we'll look at is the film that has the highest on-screen total body count, which is The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. So don't go for 28. Um... Unless you want to be funny and lose. (laughs) Okay. Eamon, you've gone for... Uh, I went for 900. I just seem to remember it being quite high, but I can't remember the specific. (laughs) And David, you've gone for... Well, I already guessed 1,000, so I just thought, screw it, because if it is the highest, I went for uh, 1,500. Okay. And you know that guess of 1,000 was wrong, though, right? Yeah, but again, I was like, if that wasn't wrong, if that wasn't right, then maybe this one is... (laughs) Okay. Well, one of you is very close of your answer. And by very close, I literally mean you are 64 off. Wow. And that person is Eamon. Oh. <laughs> Continues. Well. 836 wow. on-screen There's deaths. so many orcs fall into the ground at the end. <laughs> and all those ghosts, guys. Yeah, come on. Come on. They're ghosts. They're already dead, David. <laughs> no, but they <laughs> sweep through the entire place, don't they? Like that. I was like, they must have killed a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, well, apparently not that many on screen. Yeah. But with that, the Return uh, the King the loses death. a star on my letterbox. <laughs> <laughs> All I can say is with that brings the death of the end game and also the death of David's performance. Because <laughs> at one point to Eamon's eight. <laughs> Eamon is the winner. <laughs> Thanks. Sorry, David. I feel kind of bad it's okay. now. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not an alien concept on this podcast, don't worry. <laughs> but this was one which I heard. I was like, oh, I could be quite good at this one. But no. Uh, yeah, apparently not. Like, <laughs> I mean, I've always questioned some of your attention to details with films anyway. So I don't know why you'd be good at like, oh, yeah, I can correctly <laughs> estimate how many people are dead in this film. Yeah, I think if it wasn't like armies, I might have been a bit better off just because the fact that the, the 28 days later one, I wasn't too bad because I was at least able to like counter in the that 28 days true, later. That is true, yeah. You did, you did roughly correctly guess how many days had passed in 28 days later. So, yeah. Smaller <laughs> okay. numbers I'm okay with. <laughs> but of course, Eamon is the winner. You get a choice between our three films. So would you like to go with the film that you have suggested or would you like to go with either of mine or David's choices? Um I'm I'm not gonna go with the film that I picked, um, mainly because <laughs> Craig, when you mentioned yours, I was like, oh, oh my god, I know what this is, and I went to message you, and I messaged the entire <laughs> chat on the Zoom. <laughs> I, don't worry, I already knew as well. I was like, like a this... like a doofus. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I yeah, yours, absolutely yours. <laughs> Hooray! Okay, so very much, we are getting away from violence. I thought what we needed was a bit of a kid's film. <laughs> this is a film based on one of my favourite franchises as a child. Do I think this film is particularly good? Probably not, because it does some odd things with the IP. But I am getting us in next episode to talk about the 2004 film 
Thunderbirds. Now on DVD and video, climb into the driver's seat. Time to thunderize. Of the most advanced rescue vehicles. Thunderbird 4 is go. On the planet. The duty is to save those people. Give me as close as you can. Nothing to it, really. Five, four, three, two, one. Thunderbirds are go. Now available on DVD and video. And it's so weird because recently I had to go to this work event for the British. Uh, it was at the British Motor Museum, but it was nothing to do with the Motor Museum. But I went down into the Motor Museum once it was done and had a look at all the cars and they got like a movie section. And uh, that was the... <laughs> Which then put the song in my head, which then I like played back and I was thinking about this film being like, we should talk about this on the podcast. So yeah, as soon as you mentioned it, Craig, I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I thought about this. I was like, I really like this as a choice. And I was afraid that I was going to lose out to, to, I assume, Muppets Treasure Island. Yeah. What, a, what a selection of films, especially, uh, Eamon, what was your your pick? Uh, mine was Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, okay. That, yeah, oh. very different vibes from yeah. the three films. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people have been talking about that one recently with the, the visuals and people talking about practical effects and CGI and all that kind of stuff. But we're not talking about that film. Uh, next time we're talking about Thunderbirds, which is going to be such a such a time, uh, such a different, like, Battle Royale to Thunderbirds. I think we've topped last year's kind of Dark Knight to... A town called Panic. So, yeah, if you want to watch along with us and uh, check out Thunderbirds before next week's discussion, uh, next time's discussion, you can rent it uh, over on the usual places such as Amazon, YouTube, Rakuten, and Apple TV, as well as the Sky Store. Or if you still got your VHS DVD, or if you went out and got the Blu-ray of it, then you can check it out that way as well. So, yeah. Make sure you do, and uh, you can join in what is sure to be a mad, crazy conversation. I just hope whoever we have on next week is ready. Uh, it's going to be a fun time. So, Eamon, thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for discussing Battle Royale and uh, having a great job in the end game there as well. So, Thank you for having me. <laughs> no problem. Uh, where can people find you? What are some of the things to look out for that you're maybe involved with at the moment? And uh, yeah, any last last bits? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Eamon Jacobs. Um, that's one of the pros of having a weird name is that nobody else has taken it as Twitter handle. Um, you can also find my work on Insider um, and should hopefully have some fun reviews and interviews coming very, very soon on there. So yeah, look out for those. Awesome. Yeah, check out your full detailed thoughts on on the Evil Dead film. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, that's going to be a very very praise heavy review to say the least. <laughs> so yeah, well, thank you once again for joining us. We hope you can join uh, join us in the future, whether it's talking about something crazy as Thunderbirds or whether it's uh, going down a deep dark route again. Uh, we shall see. Anything lastly from yourself, Craig? I assume you're happy to get out of this d- uh, dark world we've been in lately. Thunderbirds are go! Yeah. <laughs> F-A-B. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, thank you once again, Eamon. And uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing everyone next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now. To keep up with the latest episodes of Well Good Movies, you can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and more. Don't forget to follow us, subscribe and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at WellGoodMovies to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes. 
as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future. And if all of that isn't enough, you can also find us at our website, freshtakehub.com slash wellgoodmovies, where you can catch all our episodes along with videos and articles deep diving into the worlds of film and television. So what are you waiting for? Go check out the film we'll be discussing in next time's episode.